I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of sexual violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. Investigators from numerous police forces across the Midlands had been searching for a connection between the unsolved murders of sex workers in the 1990s. After exhausting all resources, a cold case review was held in 1998 in an effort to identify the killer of Samo Paul and Tracy Turner. DNA obtained during Tracy Turner's post-mortem had been collected after her death. As part of the reinvestigation, the sample was cross-checked against the National DNA Database in March 1998. After four years with no leads, the police finally had a match. A man awaiting trial for a violent sexual assault. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 44 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Please listen to Season 7, Episode 43 for Part 1 of this two-part case. In the early morning of December 28, 1997, the landlord of the Western Rose Guest House on Osborne Road in Western Supermare was awoken by the sound of frantic knocking at his door. The young mother, who had been staying at the guest house after a difficult domestic situation, pleaded with the landlord to phone the police. 
when officers arrived. They found 34-year-old Alan Kite asleep in a room next to where the distraught guest had been staying. He was arrested on suspicion of rape. The victim told the police that Kite had moved into the room next to hers earlier that month, and he appeared to be friendly and helpful. Kite had asked her out on December 21st, but she politely turned him down. Four days later on Christmas Day, the victim's room was cold as the heating had stopped working. She had a conversation with Kite about the matter, and he kindly offered to make her a cup of tea and cook her some lunch. They got along well, and when Kite invited her to go to the cinema the following day, she agreed. The next night they went out for a meal, before going to a pub and then on to the Sands nightclub nearby. They left the club around 2.30am and returned to the victim's room, where she was then subjected to a horrific assault. Kite held the woman by her hair, ordering her to undress, before violently headbutting her and forcing her onto the bed. In a low voice, he said, You do as I tell you, or I will kill you. Kite held his hand over the woman's mouth to stifle her cries for help and threatened to kill her son if she made a sound. She swore on the boy's life that she would not tell anyone and said she would do anything to see her son again. At one point during the attack, Kite picked up a knife with a three-inch blade and held it to the victim's throat. He warned her, If you say anything, I will stab you in the neck. After hours of sexually assaulting and sodomizing the woman, Kite, who had consumed more than nine pints of beer that night, fell asleep. The woman seized her chance to escape and fled across the road to her landlord's home. After his arrest, Alan Kite was remanded into custody to await trial. His DNA was taken to be stored on the National DNA Database. Three months later, Kite's profile was found to match a sample obtained during Tracy Turner's post-mortem after her naked body was found on March 3, 1994. Investigators sought to learn more about Kite so they could build a case against him. Alan Kite was born on July 7, 1964 in the Staffordshire village of Tittensa. Along with his two sisters, Kite was raised by his parents in Stafford. He suffered from chronic asthma and often had to receive treatment for his condition. After leaving school at a young age, he began to work a series of odd jobs involving vehicle maintenance at the family home on Rickerscoot Avenue. During his teenage years, Kite slowly developed a gambling addiction. 
Instead of spending time with his peers, he grew isolated while playing fruit machines, methodically pressing the buttons over and over again in the hopes of getting lucky. Kite resorted to petty theft and fraud to fund his addiction, which came to a head in early 1991, when the then 26-year-old was convicted of theft and deception at Stafford Magistrates Court. Kite had conned a couple whose car had broken down by offering to fix it for them and charging them £35 for a spare part that was never supplied. He had also taken £20 worth of petrol from a garage at Eccles Hall after pretending he had forgotten his wallet and promised to return at a later date. He never did. Kite then began stealing cheques from his father's chequebook, using them to obtain cash so he could continue in his attempts to win a small fortune on fruit machines. After taking a total of £766 from his father's account, the bank wrote to Malcolm Kite and informed him there was no money left to pay the mortgage. Knowing he had been caught... Kite fled his parents' home and began staying in hostels in Stoke-on-Trent. His parents reported him missing, and he eventually turned himself in. Alan Kite told the police that he was addicted to gambling, and that was where all of the money had gone. At Stafford Magistrates in January 1991... Kite admitted to two counts of deception, one count of theft, and one count of making off without payment. He was ordered to serve two years of probation and pay £801 in compensation to his victims. Kite solicitor Ian Hodnett told the court that Kite had been examined by a psychiatrist who found nothing clinically wrong with him although it was possible Kite was still addicted to gambling. The defendant informed the magistrates that he had enrolled at an addiction advice centre. However, just three months later, Kite appeared in Stoke-on-Trent Crown Court to face a charge of burglary. The court heard that Kite and an acquaintance were arrested at a hostel after breaking into the home of a 70-year-old woman in Stoke-on-Trent. The pensioner had noticed a broken window in her porch, and when she entered the house and called out, Kite and his co-defendant pushed past her and fled. Kite pleaded guilty and was found to be in breach of a probation order but he was only sentenced to a further two years of probation. Despite numerous brushes with the law and several lucky escapes, Kite continued to dupe members of the public into giving him their cars, which he would drive around and return in the same condition weeks or months later. In November 1993, Kite and an acquaintance, Andrew McCall, was spotted acting suspiciously around a house on Port Hill Bank in Newcastle-upon-Lyme. The door had been forced open, 
and a milkman who just so happened to be passing by contacted the police, directing them to the property. When the officers appeared, Kite and McCall fled the scene, but Kite was quickly apprehended and found with pottery and jewellery taken from the home. McCall was arrested a short time later and admitted his part in the theft, netting the pair around £850 worth of stolen property, all of which was recovered. However, despite being caught red-handed, Kite denied the burglary and insisted he had bought the items from travellers living on land close to the property that had been broken into. While on bail for that offence, in February 1994, it appears that Kite was the victim of a crime when he was abducted from his home and robbed of £55. The man allegedly responsible for the kidnapping and robbery, Andrew McCall, Kite's co-defendant in the burglary case, was quickly apprehended and sent to trial. That same month, Kite was asked to repair an acquaintance's triumph for claim and was given £500 for the repairs and to buy a tax disc for the car. Over the weeks that followed, the vehicle's owner repeatedly asked for the car to be returned, but Kite told him there were issues with the repair. Two months later, in April 1994, the car's owner reported Kite to the police. However, after his arrest, Kite claimed he was still repairing the vehicle. He continued to withhold the location of the car from the police because Kite claimed he was afraid of being assaulted. The vehicle was never recovered. Around the same time, Alan Kite had been involved in another theft after failing to return some welding equipment worth £800 he had hired from a firm in Stafford. The equipment was only meant to be required for a day, but after three days had passed, the firm asked where it was, and Kite argued he had already brought it back. It emerged that he had sold it to someone for £120, and that person had sold it on for £180. After the equipment was recovered, Kite was charged with theft, but denied the offence along with the vehicle theft and the burglary until he appeared at the Crown Court in Stoke on November 28, 1994. At that point... Kite pleaded guilty to the burglary and two counts of theft, committed under Section 38 of the Magistrates' Court Act while on bail for the first offence. Two months would pass and on January 30, 1995, Kite was sentenced to 15 months in prison for the burglary, 12 months for the car theft, nine months for the theft of the welding equipment. All of the sentences were to be served consecutively, meaning he would have to serve a total of 26 months behind bars. The judge said he was imposing consecutive sentences for the thefts, as the defendant had committed them while on bail. 
The judge had, however, given Kite credit for the compensation he had paid to prior victims and the fact he had eventually entered a guilty plea. Before sentencing Kite to three years in prison, the presiding judge Donald Hamilton told him, You have been dealt with extremely leniently in the past. The time has come when you have got to learn a lesson. Kite had been before the courts five times before he received a custodial sentence. His previous charges had included dishonesty, criminal damage and motoring offences. He was also charged with theft after taking an advance for repairs on a vehicle he never carried out. Alan Kite appealed against his three-year sentence in October 1995. His counsel accepted that the 15-month sentence for the burglary was not excessive, but argued that the 21-month sentence for the thefts was too great. The barrister explained that Kite would have received a maximum of 12 months if he had been sentenced at a magistrate's court. However, it had been on the advice of his then-counsel that he had agreed to face the three charges together at the Crown Court. The appeal was successful, and the High Court judges recommended that the theft sentences be served concurrently, meaning that Alan Kite would be out of prison nine months earlier. Alan Kite was a drifter, and after he was released from prison, he moved around the Midlands, staying in hostels and guest houses, making money by doing odd jobs and short cons. However, by late December 1997, he was arrested for the horrific sexual attack in Western Supermare. He was remanded into custody to await trial. Once his DNA was linked to Tracy Turner, the investigators had to build a case. The DNA evidence alone did not prove he attacked Tracy before her death, as Kite could claim he had solicited her services as a sex worker. The match was one of the first made through the National DNA Database, as samples were compared randomly, as opposed to being tested against a specific sample. While investigators looked at where Kite was working and living at the time of the murders, forensic scientists working on Operation Enigma attempted to upgrade the evidence found at the crime scenes and extract more DNA. Senior forensic scientist Dave Barkley said at the time, it is highly possible that the use of new techniques may establish further links between the murders. Although there was no DNA evidence found in Samo Paul's case, the location and elements of the crime were too similar to ignore, so investigators wanted to find evidence to prove Alan Kite's involvement. He was eventually arrested and questioned in May 1998. During the interview, Kite denied knowing Tracy Turner or soliciting sex workers. He did, however, provide details about his background and employment history, 
which helped investigators to track down those people who had handed over their cars to Kite, assuming he would fix them. Alan Kite was charged with Tracy Turner's murder on May 22, 1998, although media reports were restricted at the time due to the ongoing rape trial. While in custody, he was questioned by officers from the Norfolk Constabulary, investigating the November 1992 murder of 16-year-old Natalie Pearman in Norwich. Natalie's body was found by a lorry driver in a lay-by in Ringland in the early hours of November 20th. She was believed to have been supporting herself through sex work at the time. A post-mortem concluded that the teenager had been asphyxiated. A DNA profile was obtained and cross-referenced against the National DNA Database. The case had also been part of Operation Enigma, but no definitive link could be made after Kite's arrest. By July 1998, detectives had gathered enough evidence to also charge Kite with Samo Paul's murder. Speaking about Samo and Tracy Turner's murders, Detective Superintendent Dave Cox, who worked on Operation Enigma, expressed his positivity that a connection had been made. He said, There was scepticism over whether these unsolved murders were linked and whether a serial killer might be on the loose. So this is a significant development. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The double murder trial began at Nottingham Crown Court in February 2000. Alan Kite had already been convicted of the violent rape in Western Supermare was ordered to serve seven years behind bars for the crime. Prosecutor James Hunt QC told the jury that although there was no DNA evidence in Samo Paul's case, quote, We say these cases are linked in type, origin and disposal, committed by a man with an unusual interest in prostitutes. The jury heard that while on remand, Kite had boasted to several prisoners and made partial confessions to the murders of Samo Paul and Tracy Turner. Convicted killer Peter Baxter, who had been jailed for murder in 1963, told the court that Kite had asked him for advice about how to avoid a life sentence. Baxter testified that Kite had admitted to killing Tracy Turner in a fit of rage. The witness said, He told me he felt this woman was laughing at him during a sexual encounter, and he couldn't handle it. I remember him saying, I just kept strangling her until she stopped laughing. I gathered he felt some unease in his relationships, particularly with the opposite sex. His threshold for frustration or rejection was very low. Mark Jarvis had met Kite in Woodhill Prison in 1998 and explained to the court that Kite had bragged that the victims had deserved everything they got. Jarvis testified, He was so matter-of-fact, he could have been talking about changing a wheel on his car. Another inmate, Gary Dyer, said that Kite had even demonstrated how he had strangled the victims. Dyer told the court, He said something about using a cord or a noose. I think he used a towel or a t-shirt. Furthermore, Kite had allegedly confessed to others too, including his childhood friend Gary Skinner. Gary said, He told me he had killed someone. I thought he was just being big-headed and boasting, so I ignored it. He said her name was Tracy.
Alan Kite had been described as a Walter Mitty-type character who sought attention. The prosecution argued this was evident when around three weeks after Tracy Turner's murder, Kite appeared at the service station where Tracy was last seen alive. The service station employees were suspicious of Kite as he loitered around, so they fixed the CCTV cameras on his movements. James Hunt QC told the jury, It would appear he rather likes the limelight. He was posing as a newspaper reporter conducting an investigation into prostitution. When confronted, Kite continued to claim he was a reporter, and even faked a call to his editor. The police had questioned him at the time, but released Kite almost immediately. Betty Wilson, who had reported seeing someone matching Samo Paul's description on December 6, 1993, three days after Samo went missing, testified at the trial. Betty said that she noticed a brown deregistration Ford Sierra on the side of the road. In the vehicle, a young woman was sitting in the back, and the witness described her face as black and blue. As Betty caught the driver's gaze, he pulled his hat down to avoid being seen. The witness was confident that the woman in the back of the vehicle was dead. Alan Kite's counsel, Rex Ted QC, accused Betty Wilson of fabricating the sighting, but her evidence was made even more credible after investigators learned that Kite had access to that type of car at the time of Samo's murder. Forensic scientist Dr. Timothy Clayton spoke about the DNA evidence in Tracy Turner's case. Dr. Clayton said that there was only a 1 in 33 million chance that the DNA sample matched someone other than Kite. While this only proved that Kite had some form of sexual contact with Tracy before her death, the prosecutor said, He denied ever having been with her. He denied having any sexual relationship with her or such women in general. In police interviews, Kite never indicated that he solicited sex workers or had paid for sex with Tracy Turner. He had also denied claiming to be a reporter in the weeks after her death, although he did admit he was seen on camera. Speaking about Tracy Turner's death, the prosecutor said, She had been strangled with some form of ligature, possibly a small item of clothes such as tights or knickers. At the scene where her body was discovered, car tyre marks were found, and these marks matched with only nine types of car. One of the vehicles that matched was a Citroen, a type of car Kite had borrowed around the time of Trace's murder that was later found burned out in Merthyr Tydville, South Wales on March 9, 1994, less than a week after the killing was said to have occurred. Alan Kite took the stand in his own defence. Kite claimed he was innocent, 
but he did not argue with the DNA evidence. He told the court, According to forensic scientists, the DNA evidence is mine, which must mean I had sex with the woman. You have casual sex. You meet people, have one-night stands. You don't remember them. I don't. At the end of the day, that doesn't make me a killer. This was the first time Kite had tried to explain the presence of his DNA, despite denying during police interviews that he had sex with the victim. At the end of the 11-day trial, the jury retired to deliberate. They returned on March 14th, 2000. For the murders of Tracy Turner and Samo Paul, Alan Kite was found guilty. Before sentencing Kite to life for each count, Mr Justice Crane told him, You cruelly killed these two unfortunate women. It is clear that you despise them, and it is you that deserves to be despised. Speaking after the conviction, Samo Paul's sister Raj described Alan Kite as a sick and disturbed individual and described how the family felt they had now received some form of justice because Kite was behind bars. She said, The last seven years for the family have been a great turmoil and desperation. Maybe today's society continues to maintain the belief that being a prostitute makes it okay to have no repercussions for actions taken by their clients. Each of us has the right to say no and maintain the right to be treated as a human being and not killed as an animal. Tracy Turner's mother Mary also addressed the media after the trial. She said, The last six years, I have built a brick wall around myself to try and make things fade into the background. In the last few weeks, my whole world has just crumbled. I will always remember the way she used to sit for a cuddle with me on the settee. She would put her arms around me and put her head on my shoulders. She was a prostitute, but she was still my daughter. Tracy was a human being, not just a prostitute. She was quite a normal little girl, but she was deaf nearly stone deaf. She was very loving and very giving, and she would have given anybody anything to help them out. I never gave up hope. I knew the police would find her killer. They were all so good. I can't tell you what I think about him. I just hope he rots in hell. I just hope he rots. Assistant Chief Constable of Leicestershire Police David Coleman voiced his opinion that the investigations into Kite's offending needed to continue, even after the conviction. 
This sentiment was echoed by Detective Superintendent David Cox, who said, Kite is very dangerous. He should not be locked up and forgotten about. We need to find out why he has done what he has done. Describing Kite as an evil man who had travelled the length and breadth of Britain committing crimes, Assistant Chief Constable Coleman told reporters, I do not believe we have uncovered the full extent of his criminality, and in particular there is every reason to believe he may have been responsible for other serious attacks on women. Speaking about how Kite was eliminated from the inquiry within a month of Tracy Turner's murder without being asked for a DNA sample, Coleman expressed regret. He admitted that things were done differently at the time. Coleman said that he wanted to hear from women who had not reported being attacked. He also appealed to the owners of lodging houses or hostels across the country to get in touch if they believed Kite had stayed there. Kite had allegedly alluded to over a dozen murders while speaking with other inmates, but the police were unable to gather enough evidence to prosecute him for more than the murders of Samo Paul and Tracy Turner. Assistant Chief Constable Coleman issued every police force in Britain with a file on Kite, containing his known locations at certain times, the vehicles he used, and a recording of his voice in the hopes that women he had attacked might recognise it. Detective Superintendent Mick Creedon, who led the reinvestigation, was quoted as saying, Kite craves notoriety. He wants to be elevated to Ripper status. Breeden told the Sunday People that it was likely Kite had committed many more undetected crimes. He said, Murder isn't something which happens in isolation. There is a build-up, probably starting with sex assaults. It was obvious that Kite enjoyed terrorising women, and that he had the potential to wreak even more havoc if he hadn't been caught. We're extremely glad he's off the streets. It wasn't just prostitutes he killed. It could have been anyone's wife or girlfriend. But I don't believe that we have yet uncovered the full horrific extent of Kite's crimes. There is every reason to suspect that Kite is responsible for a lot more attacks. In the weeks following Alan Kite's conviction, the Sunday People spoke with a sex worker who claimed she had been held at knife point by Kite in March 1994. The woman who gave her name as Tina said that Kite had pulled up in an Austin Maestro in the Borsal Heath area of Birmingham and offered her £50 for sex. It was around 10pm. She said, He drove me in a tan maestro for a few miles down the road, and we stopped in a dark, unlit car park of Moseley Hall Hospital. Tina said that Kite had a soft voice and did not speak much as they drove to her regular spot in the car park. 
she told the reporter for the Sunday People. He said he was getting something from the boot. Even then, I didn't feel worried. Some men like you to wear kinky stuff, but the next thing I knew, he had slithered into the back seat and grabbed me around the throat. He brought this really sharp knife up to my jugular. He was running the blade up and down my neck, nicking me with the knife as he sniggered. Although I thought I was going to die, I just kept talking to him. He was hurting me and was enjoying watching me suffer. As the minutes wore on and I didn't show any signs of panic, he seemed to relax a little. It was then that I pleaded with him not to kill me. He threw me naked out of the car, then threw my clothes out. Tina explained that she had told Kite she was three months pregnant and she believed that saved her life. After he left, Tina went straight to the nearest police station and made a full statement about the incident. When Kite was identified almost four years later, Tina was brought to a lineup where she positively identified him as her attacker. By the time Kite was behind bars, Tina had stopped supporting herself through sex work and instead counselled young women and girls on how to work safely on the streets. She credited her son as the reason her life was spared. Tina said, Every day I look at him and thank God we are both still alive. I know he's the reason I didn't die that night. The attack led Detective Superintendent Creedon to question whether Kite had committed more crimes between 1994 and his arrest in 1997, asking, Why three attacks in a short period, then nothing until 1997? There are three missing years to fill in, and he is capable of absolutely anything. While it is known that Alan Kite was in prison for a period of time between 1995 and 1997, he has still been linked to many more unsolved murders as far back as 1984. An investigation by the Sunday People using Kite's petrol receipts, work logs and hospital records showed where he was living and receiving asthma treatment. They were pieced together to form partial connections to unsolved murders. According to the article, Kite was working in the area when Janine Downs was murdered in Wolverhampton in February 1991. He was also known to visit West London in the summer of that year when Sharon Hall was killed in her flat. That October, 32-year-old Barbara Finn went missing in Coventry. Her remains have never been recovered. In December of that year, 18-year-old Nicola Payne went missing in Coventry. Her mother Marilyn spoke about contacting Kite to encourage him to admit any further wrongdoing. She said, Police suspect Kite may have committed many other offences. I plan to write to him to ask if he had anything to do with Nicola's disappearance.
Alan Kite moved to Norwich in 1992. In November of that year, teenage sex worker Natalie Pearman was killed. The following year, Carol Clark was abducted from Bristol and found strangled near the M5 in Gloucestershire. In December 1993, Kite killed Samo Paul, and three months later he killed Tracy Turner. A number of killings committed afterwards could potentially be linked to Kite, including the 1994 murders of Dawn Shields, Julie Finley, and Sharon Harper. So where are we now? Alan Kite attempted to reduce his sentence through an appeal in 2013. The High Court judges heard that he had completed important rehabilitative work and made impressive progress in the 13 years since his conviction. Kite had been given a minimum term of 25 years in 2000, but appealed to have it reduced by five years. Judge Mr Justice Cranston, who presided over the appeal, said that while Kite, quote, has accepted his culpability in relation to Tracy Turner's murder, he denies any involvement in the murder of Samo Paul. In my view, he has not made the exceptional progress required to have an influence on his sentence. In February 2023, Alan Kite was back in court facing more serious charges. He had been accused of sexually attacking a young boy in the late 1980s. The trial at Nottingham Crown Court heard that Kite had lured the nine-year-old to his home in Stafford on the promise of toys and money. When the boy was inside the property, Kite launched at his victim, punching, kicking and choking him before committing a violent sexual attack. Afterwards, Kite gave the boy 50p, before threatening to hurt his family if the child revealed to anyone what had happened. Prosecutor Ben Lawrence told the jury, that type of behaviour was repeated a number of times over the next few years. The violence and threats used by Kite would be an obvious explanation as to why his victim felt unable to tell anyone at the time. The victim testified that Kite had strangled him until he briefly lost consciousness. He was so afraid that he had decided to, quote, get it over and done with, and allow Kite to continue abusing him. When Alan Kite took the stand in his own defence, he claimed that the events never happened and he did not understand why the victim had made the allegations. During cross-examination, Kite accepted that he had murdered Tracy Turner and admitted she had been pestering him to finish a meal in the service station, so he strangled her. He was asked by the prosecutor if he was still lying about his involvement in the killing of Samo Paul. Kite answered, 
it would be easier for me to take responsibility for the 1993 murder. In my prison life, it would take away hurdles. But because I did not do the murder in 1993, I can't take responsibility. Kite explained that he had suffered from low self-esteem at the time of Trace's murder and had just been dumped by a girlfriend. He testified, I'd come out of a long-term relationship and I was hurt, so I stopped getting in relationships and just had one-night stands. I was seeing women just as sexual objects rather than relationship material. After deliberating for four hours, the jury returned on March 14th with their verdicts. They found Alan Kite guilty of four counts of indecency with a child, three counts of attempting to choke, two counts of indecent assault on a male, and two counts of buggery. Speaking with ITV after the verdicts, Detective Superintendent Mick Creedon said, We always knew Kite was a dangerous man. He'd murdered, he'd raped, and we were convinced there would be other victims. The surprise to me is perhaps the nature of the victim, but I'm not remotely surprised that he's got other offences, and I'm sure there are more victims out there. The most recent investigation had been led by Detective Constable Katie Page, who described how the victim had shown great strength and determination in reporting what happened to them all those years ago. DC Page said, I'm pleased the jury saw through Kite's lies and found him guilty of this horrendous abuse. I hope the victim is now able to come to terms with what happened to them and look forward to the future. This case shows that it doesn't matter how long it takes. We will always do whatever we can to support victims and help them achieve justice. As of the time of this recording... Alan Kite has yet to be sentenced for the historical sex offences in the late 1980s. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.